Sometimes it feels like the world is throwing everything at you. Dell Technologies Advisors have the tech advice you need to navigate whatever you're up against. Call an advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL and do more with modern devices and Windows 10 Pro. Means that we're actually, we're not growing by putting more beer in bottles and cans and selling it further afield. We're actually growing by selling more locally. You're listening to Producing with Purpose, an ethical business podcast with me, Tony Corrales. We'll be speaking to some of the greatest CEOs, creatives, founders, and entrepreneurs who have established and managed companies that put ethical practices at the forefront of their mission, all whilst navigating the challenges of the business world. Hey everyone, welcome to episode six of Producing with Purpose. We are now past that five episode milestone, which feels great. We're really underway. We've actually got a podcast going now. And just a big thank you to anybody who tuned into the last episode and has now come in for this episode as well. That was the biggest listener or download count we had on day one of an episode. And that was really encouraging to see. And there's a lot of work that goes into this, a lot of time um, from me and from the guests. So it's really appreciated that people are getting around it. So for those of you who have checked out a couple of episodes before, you'll know that at the beginning of the show, before I get into my guest, I'll speak a little bit about what's happening with No Skin, the vegan fashion label that I'm co-founding. But in a way, I'm going to make that a little bit different today, and I'm going to talk about this podcast. This podcast is a branch of No Skin, so success and progression with this podcast is all part of that business. So that's why I want to give a little bit of an update of what's happening with this show. So I'm pleased to announce that Producing With Purpose is now part of the Climactic Collective. That means it's part of a podcast network of like-minded individuals who put a focus or at least a big consideration on the world around us and the climate crisis. So the conversations I'm having about businesses that really put ethics at the forefront of their model is a big contributor to thinking about what we do for the planet and the world around us and the people and the animals that inhabit it. So I'm really stoked to be a part of that. It was really humbling to be invited to be a part of it. And Also, it's been a great opportunity to connect with other people. So my guest today is James Perrin, and he is the sustainability manager of Stone & Wood, but also has his own podcast, The Overview Effect, which is also part of the Climactic Collective. I'll mention it a couple of times throughout this show, and James will give a bit of an update on it himself. But for those of you who want to check it out, I really recommend it. And you can see a link to The Overview Effect in the show notes of this podcast, or you can just check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. So again, thanks very much for tuning in. We'll jump straight into the conversation with James as it's a really interesting one and it's pretty long as well. So I want to make sure that everyone has time to listen to the whole thing, be they on their commute or a walk around the block if you're still in lockdown somewhere, which I know I was doing a lot of as well. So here it is, episode six of Producing With Purpose, featuring James Perrin of Stone & Wood and host of the Overview Effect podcast. Enjoy. James, great to have you here, mate. Welcome to the show. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. As you can appreciate, today I've got a heap of questions about your work with Stone and Wood. Um, you know, I'm a big fan. And from the, I just want to know a bit as well about like the journey into the role that you have there, and you know some of the impact and targets you've got for the future within the company. But before we get into all of the stuff around Stone and Wood, just tell me a bit about your personal journey into environmentalism and sustainability and including the process that led you to creating your own podcast as well. Yeah, cool. That's a uh, potentially quite a long tangent, but let us uh, let me try to summarize that. But first, can I quickly just start, I want to acknowledge I'm, I'm here in northern New South Wales 
um, and I'm on Bunjilung land, and I'd like to acknowledge the the traditional custodians and the First Nations people of this land. And you're down in Melbourne, right? Yep. So on, on what Boon land or Warrantary? Oh, we're on Warrantary. Yeah. 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 Cool. So I, I think it's important to acknowledge that, especially as we head into January 26. Um, Good point. It's very important to acknowledge, you know, the traditional custodians of this land. Um, but yeah, so, so my personal journey. So I, I guess I had a, you know, your classic kind of, I'm originally from Adelaide, had your classic kind of upbringing. Uh, and I, I wasn't hugely passionate in, in, about environment and community or any of, of these sorts of, um, you know, ethical values until I really hit my, my late teens, early 20s. And I went through a series of events that really kind of opened my eyes to, to the world. And I, I became hugely passionate and hugely connected to nature and environmentalism. And this, I, I was quite good at science and maths and things like that in, in school. And I kind of found my way into engineering because, um, I don't know, who knows what they want to do when they're 17, 18. Absolutely, you know? yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so I kind of fell into engineering and chemical engineering and I was told, oh, you'll get a good job and da-da-da-da. And about halfway through that, I, um, uh, yeah, I had this kind of like early life crisis, I guess you'd say, which is like, yeah. oh, actually, I, I legitimately care about nature and environment. And, and, and so that kind of time in my life really spurred this connection to, to environmentalism. And I actually, I remember I had this, um, this job with, I had this like student placement job with Holden, right? So okay. Holden used to be manufactured in Adelaide and I had this student placement job where I was there like helping them design cars and it was setting me on this you know it was really good experience and setting me on this engineering career path and I just walked out of it because I just it just wasn't inspiring me it just I was just like I I can't do this and I I quit on a I think I quit on a Friday on the Monday I started fundraising for the Australian Conservation Foundation okay so I was literally there Monday to Friday on the street yeah trying to get people's credit card details you know for (laughs) I've done the same I've Um, done the same job (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah, and and you get you get over your fear of rejection pretty quickly, right? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of it in that yeah, job. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of it. I think we, we we tried to speak to like sixty people a day, mm. uh, try to get maybe ten of them to stop and have a chat with me, and maybe get one or two to to yeah donate to the charity. That was kind of like the the ultimate. So yeah, um, but that that really set me on this path of environmentalism. I kind of regeared my studies towards that, and I I ended up kind of graduating environmental engineering and um studying a lot around kind of like renewable energy systems and and things like that yeah um then when i was looking for a job there most of my peers and most people in that industry were getting jobs in like bhp and mining and oil and gas and 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 it was kind of like this dilemma of well do i try to influence these companies from the inside and be like that environmental hero inside a big corporation that's potentially quite destructive yeah or do something else um and fortunately for me i I ended up getting a job in the brewing industry at one of the big breweries in new zealand okay so i went through a few years in new zealand and trained up as a brewer and learned how to you know brewing and packaging and manufacturing and all that good stuff and by the way the brewing industry is just a hell of a lot of fun (laughs) so uh, yeah it's a lot better than going to bhp i reckon totally we don't take ourselves too seriously like Whenever there's a, it's a bit of a stressful day, you know, as you, it's not really that stressful really in the <laughs> brewing industry, but, um, you know, our founders or someone is in the brewing, in the, in the, in the business is always kind of saying, do you know what guys, we're not performing brain surgery here. We're making beer just like yeah. chill out. 
yeah, I found my way in the brewing industry, trained as a brewer, had a good time over in New Zealand, learning all things about mm. FMCG industry and, and that side of business world. Um, and then I decided, look, we want to move back to Australia. We want to start a family and I really want to get into some sort of environment or sustainability related role because that's my cool. passion. And uh, lo and behold, as soon as we kind of had that, me and my wife had that discussion about a week later, a job opens up, Stonerwood Brewing Company, sustainability manager, Byron Bay. So I was just like, <laughs> that's it. That's the one. Thank you, universe. Yeah. Thank you, universe. And and that was five years ago. So um, when I joined Stonerwood, it was pretty early days in the company. I mean, it still is. It's mm. 13 years old. Um, but it was very much in a, in a rapid scale-up phase at that point. So we had just just kind of built our second brewery um, in Mwollomba, about 40 minutes north of Byron, which is our kind of expanded production facility because we outgrew our Byron brewery. And my role was very much then around kind of brewery production. So how do we operate efficiently? Things like water usage, wastewater treatment, waste, you know, where's all of our spent grain going? How do we um, how do we not landfill all of our organic material? How, how do we connect with farmers? Um, water, energy, waste management, that sort of stuff. Very engineering kind of aligned, which was my background as well. Mm. So it was really great. And over the years, as we've kind of, the business and the brewery has embedded and matured, um, our focus has been, and, and we've really stabilized and, and picked a lot of those low-hanging fruits in, time, in terms of being an efficient brewery, our environmental focus has kind of broadened to being more supply chain based. Yeah. So working with suppliers, working downstream with recyclers, um, as well as the kind of engagement and advocacy piece. So how do we use our brand? How do we use our messaging? How do we um, inspire and educate our drinkers and engage our drinkers in, in environmental um, practices? So it's funnily enough, I don't do a hell of a lot of engineering anymore and I don't do any brewing anymore. Yeah. Um, but it's great. It's been a it's been a wonderful journey, and it's a great industry. And, and you know, the beer industry um, has a a really rich history and really strong agricultural and community ties. Yeah. And has undergone enormous change in the last few decades. So it's actually a really exciting industry to be part of in the bigger scheme of things. That's awesome. And it's interesting how you say as well. You know, you're not doing the engineering. You're not doing the hands-on brewing. Um, Still getting the beers in though, as I can see as we're talking on Zoom, which is a good perk. But uh, <laughs> but it, it sounds like it's actually becoming a little bit more like an advocacy role in some respects. What you have there, where you're getting the you're getting your customers along and on the journey as well to start thinking a bit differently. Totally, yeah, yeah. We kind of think of our 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 approach to environmentalism as kind of what we do within our brewery walls, mm. um, what we do within our supply chain. And then how we kind of advocate and engage externally. That's really cool. Can you remember in that first year, which is a little while ago now, but one of the first, can you remember one of the first things where you maybe got to the end of a first project or, you know, you came home after one day and you're like, I actually just made a tangible change into what we do at this place. And that is made a positive change. Can you remember what that first thing was? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was um, probably the first one was probably how we kind of manage and handle waste yeah. you know which is not super sexy but um you know in brewing wise we have we have a lot of organic wastes you know yeah, we have yeah. spent grain which most breweries sell or give away to cattle farmers but there's a lot of other organic wastes like 
beer residues, you know, spent yeast, spent hops, mm. that sort of stuff. Um, and we were able to partner with a a local at the at the time when I first started, we were hiring a big, you know, waste management company to um, basically truck those wastes off. And we weren't kind of sure where they were going or what yeah, they were doing with it. And it certainly wasn't, wasn't local. Um, and one of the drivers kind of approached us and said, Hey, you know what? My uncle's just got a farm just down the road and this is all organic. I reckon we could try composting this. What do you reckon? And we said, yeah, Hell cool. yeah, absolutely. Let's give it a go. And, um, so we, we started, we made sure that we did, you know, we hired a, a third party, like a compost expert to make <laughs> sure that we had all the, all the feedstocks right and everything like that and started trialing it and that went well and it grew and grew. And, you know, five years later that they're one of our, he's started his own business. Um, one of our major suppliers or contractors handles all of our wastes, not just our organic wastes anymore, but all of our recycling, um, and, and is all composted locally, redistributed to local farms. So all of the waste from the brewery, all the organic waste from the brewery is composted locally and, and yeah, redistributed to local farms. And all of our recycling streams are separated and recycling going to the best place possible. And more than that, you know, we've, we've helped establish a, a growing company in a regional area yeah, that's through really a, cool. a longstanding relationship. So those are the kind of really heartwarming things to reflect on for sure yeah and uh, we'll talk about it a bit more but i know that stone and wood when it yeah your role there is within sustainability but i know that stone and wood has a lot that comes into the community as well and you're still going for that ethos of the the village brewery so to speak so to actually have had a tangible impact on another local provider or producer is that's a real nice tangible direct impact as well totally yeah we'll go in a little bit more to um stone and woods processes and what you're actually doing there but just give us a bit of an overview as well about the ingrained foundation that stone and wood are doing as well how did that come to be yeah so you're right so one one part of my role is is in kind of the environmental sustainability but more and more a big part of what i do and what stone and wood does is the community and the charitable giving and the the community community impact so through the years we've always been a a business that tries to engage and give back to our communities. So that could be through charitable donations, but also through events, fundraisers, in-kind donations for other events. Um, You know, everyone that visits our brewery, our brewery is a bit of a tourist destination in Byron. So everyone that visits the brewery, you know, a portion of sales over the bar get donated to a different local charity for the month. We've always had that kind of ethos. Yeah. And through the, after about six or seven years in, in the business, a lot of the funds that we were raising through events or through fundraisers were actually getting quite significant. Um, so we decided to kind of formalize our charitable giving element to the business by starting our own separate not-for-profit. So we started, we launched the Ingrained Foundation, which is a, an ancillary fund, um, which has a separate board. It's a separate entity. Um, Stone and Wood donates, has a commitment that, that it donates a dollar for every hundred liters of beer sold nationwide, yeah. but also a dollar for every liter sold in our in our venues. And then cool. we also fundraise a whole bunch of our events through the Ingrained Foundation. So we channel a, a lot of charitable donations through the Ingrained Foundation. And the Ingrained Foundation then um, independently grants out those funds to yeah. social and environmental organizations. 
So I'm, I'm lucky enough to be on the board of the foundation and be involved in the grants and fundraising processes of the foundation. And it's just a really great way to forge really strong ongoing partnerships with organizations doing incredible things in the community. You know, so we've funded this year, we did a last year, sorry, we did a grants program where we had a pool of a hundred thousand dollars and we asked Northern rivers, grassroots, not for profits to apply for funding for their projects. And we, I think we had, 50 or 60 applicants. Uh, we narrowed it down to six and ranging from everything from like support for support for new mums mm. to tree planting to um, setting up, um, uh, yeah, carbon reduction, habitat restoration. You know, it's, it's just really exciting and amazing to see all the incredible work being done by organisations in the community and to have that kind of formal entity which is able to just take that connect on a deeper level it's not just a business going oh you know shit it's getting to the end of financial year let's do a quick (laughs) piece of philanthropy let's tick that box we've actually gone through all of the effort to set up this organization which has no overheads by the way because stonerwood covers all of them that's really cool so every single dollar donated is granted out or invested out in the community it's it's really um heartwarming and encouraging for someone like me to go wow this business actually puts its money where its mouth is yeah. You know, even five years on, I'm still sometimes going kind of like, what's the catch? Yeah, well, I was just going to say, <laughs> just I mean, waiting for that catch. <laughs> like Stone and Wood is, the, and this this conversation of Stone and Wood is is a reputable, well known large brand in Australia, and doing things like that, it, it's the epitome of what we want to talk to on producing with purpose. That's exactly what you're doing. Is you're you know you're making a product. Stone and Wood, I I would imagine, is a pretty profitable, uh, you know pretty profitable brand but is doing so much and doing it actually genuinely as well you know and covering things like the costs of those foundations and stuff like that so that's yeah that's great you're right like it is wonderful that there are businesses and there are so many businesses out there that are that have such strong environmental and community values and are doing the right thing um but we also and 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 that's the reason we do it because we care and it's part of our, our ethos and our values but we also have gone through multiple long-term planning exercises. You know, we actually plan 10 plus years into the future. We plan okay. to be a multi-generational business. And we've identified, in fact, one of the core pillars of our long-term strategy is to continue to be a conscious business and to drive deeper into that area, not just because it's a nice thing to do, but because we actually see it as part of being a long-term viable, successful business. You know, more and more we're seeing B Corps, ethical businesses, social enterprises are growing and outgrowing their competitors. So it's actually becoming a good business strategy to be a good business, which is a really exciting thing. You know, if you're like a neoliberalist and, or, or a free market economist, it's almost like an um, identity crisis point because it's like, oh, actually the best thing to do is to go for renewable energy or to be an ethical business or a social enterprise because those are the businesses that are actually outperforming their competitors. That's, um, yeah, it's interesting because I've actually got a, a question, I suppose, that relates to that. And I suppose I'll skip ahead and talk about that to an extent is, um, sorry, I'm just going to so I, f- I feel that more and more brands are doing exactly what you're saying and they're demonstrating their commitments to sustainability to actually capture that market now as that grows. 
But do you think we're going to get to a tipping point where everybody effectively starts doing that because it is a business strategy and then it starts to dilute that messaging or it's just becomes the only marketing tactic that brands have got? Yeah, that's a good question because I I definitely see this as a not just a growing space but like snowball effect, yeah. right? So this is this is going to get to the point where every business goes hang on we don't just need a CSR rep that sits to the yeah. side of the business and ticks a box. We have to integrate some sort of purpose to what we're doing. There's the minimizing destructive practices element of it, you know, and things like, and, and especially in your industry, uh, fashion industry, yeah. that's been enormous, you know, and, and it's quite encouraging to see the con- enormous overhaul that the fashion industry has had to go through and continues to go through after the awful harmful practices that are being exposed. So, you know, something like fair trade certification, it's crazy, isn't it? That yeah. people are touting that as like, look how good we are. What we're fair trade. Like, sh- the fact that there is unfair trade is horrendous. Well, the, you know, shouldn't fair it. trade just be the norm? Well, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is there is there going to be a point where actually we don't have to talk about being dissertified, or we don't have to essentially worry about proving things with a B Corp because? It's assumed that businesses will be that way. I feel like there is going to be a bit of time where everybody's speaking to that. And then in the end, we can actually scale back from talking about that and go back to marketing in other ways. But I feel like there will be a point where, and I actually feel to an extent, sometimes it feels like that already, that everybody's marketing is actually touting the good they're doing because they don't want to be seen to be on the wrong side. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Then there's a hell of a lot of greenwashing and there's a hell of a lot of bandwagoning. Yeah. I think that, um, I think that for me, what I see as really genuine, it comes back to, but yeah, being really genuine and, and being integral to the business because I, for Stone and Wood, the, the successful, I guess, campaigns or the, the, you know, the successful communications or things that we've done in the community and environment space have, have not necessarily been the, the high dollar, high engineering impact or anything like that. It tends to be the really humanistic, really authentic stories. Yeah. You know, for example, there was a, um, we, everyone at Stonewood gets like volunteer leave, you know, to go yeah. and volunteer for an organization. And it was a bit of an ad hoc kind of on a whim sort of um, example, but some of our, our members in our Byron Brewery went and volunteered at a, they got invited to go and spend a day at an aged care home. Cool. And they went and they sung karaoke. They took <laughs> the residents through like beer tastings and they just basically partied and enjoyed spending time with these residents, some of which had started their own homebrew club in the aged nice. care home, you know, and yeah. really just genuinely connected. And some of the photos and stories and, and you know, the, the, the content, I guess, from a marketing point of view that came from that was so genuine and so heartwarming that it just mm. kind of cut through all the the, the the kind of BS greenwash stuff. Yeah. Like it's like, do you know what? Who kind of cares about, um, I don't know, trying to do a, a massive engineering project when people just want to see that you're actually a genuine business that's trying to do the right thing and has the right intent and yeah. you're not trying to sugarcoat it or you're not trying to be seen as trying to do the right thing. You just, maybe it's not the most impactful thing in the world, but it's just really genuine. And yeah. I think people really connect with that. Especially when somebody can see that it might, as you say, it might not be the most 
broadly impactful thing, but it was very impactful for a small, you know, a small group of people, which can have a larger impact in a more concentrated place as well. Do you think, um, because it's actually interesting, and obviously as we've come into having this chat today, I've been doing my research and getting deeper into the world of stone and wood and have been surprised, to be fair, about how much good the company does. And I suppose slightly contradictory to my last point where I say that everybody starts to talk about the good they do. I feel like I haven't seen that much in a marketing perspective of what Stone and Wood do. Do you personally think that Stone and Wood market enough of the good work that they do? Mm. Yeah, it's always a, a bit of a fine line to walk, right? right? Um, yeah. One of our one of our company values is kind of be humble, yeah. um, and always it's always a bit of like a paradox when you come to like performance review time because it's like. <laughs> how have I been humble this year? Um, <laughs> and how can I talk about how brilliantly uh, I've been humble? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm the most humble. Yeah. Um, no, uh, <laughs> no, look, you're right. Like we, we get a lot of people that come and visit Byron and visit the Byron Brewery. And when they go through a tour, they get to see the brewing process, but they also get to learn about our environmental and community values. And a lot of them say, wow, I had no idea. Yeah. I didn't know what what B Corp was and all this sort of stuff. Um, so it's a fine line to walk. We, we probably could push it and promote it more from a marketing point of view mm. at times. Um, sometimes we do, you know, it's just, I think it's around for us. Okay. So I talk about B Corp and if you're, I'm sure you're aware of B Corp certification, but for anyone maybe yeah, that's listening that do. hasn't heard yeah. of it, B Corp certification is a third party certification, kind of like fair trade or organic that um, looks at your business's practices. So they take a deep dive into how your business is governed, your community impact, your environmental impact, how you treat your workers, employment, all that sort of stuff. And um, and if you reach a certain kind of level in the assessment, you can certify as a B Corp and you have to recertify every three years. And it is actually quite a difficult certification to obtain and, and continue to obtain. Um, so it's kind of like what fair trade is for coffee or fashion. It kind of is for like ethical business practices, yeah. right? Um, so for us, having that is kind of like rather than shout that from the rooftops and be the, our lead marketing point of view. For us, our our kind of ethos is well, let's let our brand and our our products be the the main point of view. Yeah. But that's there on the label for anyone that wants to scratch behind and learn a bit more behind it. Um, there are certainly other businesses that do the opposite, you know, and, and are really successful in it. You know, someone like Patagonia, they their lead marketing yeah. is around B Corp and, and ethical and donation and they do a great job of it and they're an amazing business. So I guess it's horses for courses a little bit, but um, certainly it's a, I think it just comes back to whatever your messaging is, having it yeah, genuine and authentic. Hey, I'm Mark Spencer, and I'm the publisher of The Climactic Collective. That's a group of independent podcasts made by people from all walks of life, all engaged with the biggest topic facing all of us, the climate crisis. Whether that's in ways like personal sustainability or changing the way we do business, you can find a bunch of great stuff over at climactic.fm. That includes the show you're listening to right now, Producing with Purpose, and also James's show, The Overview Effect. And if you're enjoying this chat, you might also love Growing Concern with Sean Marsh. 
Or to get a sampler of all the great stuff on the network, check out Climactic Curation. That's a monthly audio magazine show of the best of the network. Thanks for listening to Producing with Purpose. And now, back to Tony and James. You know, the interesting thing about the beer industry is that it's it's hyper-localized, or it's going through this transition of being hyper-localized, which is yeah. actually really exciting. So, you know, just like every other industry in the world, um, the beer industry was very much commercialized and commoditized and consolidated. Uh, it was not that long ago that we only had a handful, like five or six yeah. major breweries in Australia and about 20-ish years ago, it started to go through this transformation where all these kind of really small little microbreweries started popping up and more and more consumers bought into that, more and more drinkers bought into that and it, it grew and grew and grew. And now we actually have over 700 independent breweries in this country. Wow. And it's, it's kind of like more than anything, you know, when you travel – um, you, you tend to not go, okay, what's my local, I don't know, bread or pasta or whatever. But for whatever reason, you go, all right, what's the local brewery? I don't want the same beer I always buy. I want the, yeah, local, true, brewery. the local brewery. There's something about like beer, wine, being that kind of luxury item, whatever it is in that space that makes people think about localization. And I, I think more and more we're going to see more and more industries move in this direction and we kind of already have through COVID people wanting to support local um, but I, I just I can't see that localization movement slowing down and it's really interesting being in the beer industry because um, we have hyper conscious consumers that want to know yeah, you know where the ingredients came from and how it was brewed and who brewed it it's quite it's quite weird how many how many products on your supermarket shelf do you actually go on like have a tour of seeing how it's being made. Yeah. You know, that's absolutely true. Yeah. People people want to know the story behind it. They want to, they want to know whatever's local to the region. They want to go to their local brewery. And I just see that as a, a kind of, uh, I guess, a synonymous to where other industries perhaps are heading. This is a perfect segue really into a question I had talking about locality really because on the journey and you know people listening to this podcast often give a bit of an update on what's progressing with no skin it's sort of tied in along the way as well and you know it's as I say pretty much in every episode too these conversations are me grabbing extracts of advice and how to apply that into starting my own business and on my journey of thinking about launching no skin with the co-founders it's actually hard not to get carried away about thinking how to market yourself, you know, countrywide and even internationally, especially when technology is such a facilitator to have a global voice, depending on where you, you know, target your Facebook ads effectively. Um, but, you know, I know that Stone and Wood very much think of themselves and have positioned themselves with that mentality of being the village brewer, like you say, and like you would have the butcher or the baker, you are the, the village brewer, so to speak. So how important do you think it is then to nail your local market before you start going for those broader horizons? Yeah, so that that is crucial. And that is something that we have very much seen in the brewing industry globally. So we, we kind of look to the USA um, as a bit of an, an example yeah. because they have gone through a similar transition in the brewing industry, but probably 10 or 20 years ahead of us. Yeah, okay. And we've seen a lot of breweries start over there have a really strong local presence and then 
expand probably too big too soon. Mm. And in doing so, they've lost their local market. Maybe other breweries have popped up or maybe they haven't put as much focus on their local area. And what's happened is that that's kind of really undercut their businesses. And we've seen an enormous amount of breweries in the States and around the world have to sell out to, you know, big multinational companies. And we we see that in Australia as well. You know, we, we are very much here at Stone and Wood. We're very much proudly independent. Um, Like I said before, we see ourselves as multi-generational and we want to continue to own our future. Um, So we're very, very cautious of going too far too soon. In fact, we still sell over half of our beer within a three-hour drive of the brewery here in Byron. That's a great so, fact. <laughs> and yeah, and we've maintained that as we've grown, right? So as we've grown in volume, hmm. we've maintained that split, which yeah. means that we're actually we're not growing by putting more beer in bottles and cans and selling it further afield. We're actually growing by selling more locally. Hmm. And that, I think, is really crucial because in this world that's becoming more hyper-localized and people want to know the story behind where things are made and where they're coming from, especially in the manufacturing, you know, industry, in the yeah, FMCG cool. industry, um, that's crucial. And if, if you, if you lose your local market, you're potentially in really big trouble, I think. Yeah. So for us, that's always front of mind. And we're very lucky that I guess we're, we're able to see examples around the world of maybe what not to do, or maybe other breweries that have done it really well and other food manufacturing businesses that have done it really well. So I would I would say that um, focus local above all else, really, in terms yeah. of your marketing and and grow from there. It's really interesting, and this is this is exactly a conversation I had in a previous episode as well with Nick from Homie, and we were talking about the actual size of those lo- local markets as well. And it's sometimes easy to forget, you know, if you're in somewhere like Melbourne and you've got a population of five plus million people. That's an enormous market. There's plenty of room to be a successful business in your own city right there as well. So it's, yeah, it's imperative yeah. to focus on that. And it's good to just pull back sometimes and think that let's let's nail that three-hour radius, as you say, before you start going across into international markets. Yeah. And and our mindsets have very much in this last year shifted to local as well. Like We're not traveling overseas. Yeah, A lot of us are staying in our home state or our hometown. So a lot of us are very much in that local headspace anyway. So yeah. what better time to really tap into that? Absolutely. Uh, you've talked a little bit about as well, you've mentioned greenwashing a couple of times and that's, you know, it's a topic that often comes up. And when we are talking about businesses taking more, more prevalence in the way that they talk about the things that they do, and as it does become a bit of a marketing tactic, you know, they're trying to find ways to talk about their processes along the way as well. Um, I think in something like the fashion industry, greenwashing is something that people can spot quite easily because, you know, you can be really just talking about the fabrics that you use, but throwing around standard terms and making them sound more ethical as well. But in something like brewing, what does greenwashing look like in that sense? I wouldn't really know how to spot that. So what would you what would you say are some of the terms or some of the things that are thrown around a bit bit too easily now? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it, it's, I guess it's, it's a bit complex. There's no maybe black and white answer. But um, for me, I think part of it, what we're seeing with a lot of brewers globally, so not just in Australia, but yeah. a lot of kind of the bigger global brewers, um, 
is a lot of brewers going for like carbon neutrality, for example. Um, there's one brewer, I won't mention the name, but yeah. uh, there are, you know, <laughs> Scottish brewer that is very active on their um, social media. So I'm sure people can join the dots there, but yep, okay. <laughs> um, they, they go hard, absolutely, absolutely hard on, on this sort of thing. Um, but really, they're not um, maybe focusing on the real impacts of their business. So, you know, by, by, by buying maybe carbon offsets to offset their brewery production and claiming carbon neutrality and really going hard on that, it's one thing which might resonate with consumers. But if you kind of dive in behind it, you go, well, do you know what? The impact doesn't actually, a lot of the carbon impact doesn't come from your brewery operations. It comes from the production of your raw materials. Where are you getting your malt? Where are you getting your glass your cans how what's your can split you know what 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 are your how are you operating your supply chain those sorts of questions yeah um so for us it's kind of like how do we how do we from an environmental point of view prioritize and focus on the key areas of our supply chain is kind of what we're we're really focusing on at the moment so for example we have we have done like a greenhouse gas mapping exercise of our yep. entire supply chain and almost all of the not almost all the majority of the emissions come upstream which is not surprising for a, a business like ours so the the growing of the barley massive land use massive water use yeah um, and the production of the the glass and the cans enormous energy use so we've been focusing the last few years on those areas because they have the most impact. So things like working with our suppliers to increase the increase the recycled glass content in our bottles, increase the recycled cardboard content in our uh, cardboard boxes. Yep. We're actually at the moment um, talking with a farming co-op that um, f- has generated their own sustainable regenerative farming practices where they use no synthetic fertilizers, very minimal um industrial agricultural methods they're able to show that they have 70 percent reduction in greenhouse gas usage from less nitrous oxides they're able to show that they have increased carbon sequestration in the soil so we've been talking with this farming co-op about how we might be able to use their grains Mm -hmm. which they currently supply to the bread industry potentially for the brewing industry and so for us it's like well how do we do that not only for us, but to share with the rest of the brewing industry. So a lot of these six, 700 smaller brewers might be able to tap into that supply chain. So I guess to come back to your question, greenwashing, I think when a business is out there in spotlight and going kind of us, 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 look at us. Yeah. For me, that's a red flag. Okay. But when you get, but for when you get businesses that are like taking a bit more of a bigger picture approach and like looking at their industry or their supply chain as a whole, for me, as a sustainability professional, that stuff's really impactful. And I'll bring up Patagonia again because I, I'm a, you know, as we all are, fanboys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I I watched one of their, um, uh, Vincent Stanley, who's one of their long term um, employees. Uh, he gave a talk in Australia a few years ago and talked about when they decided to transition to organic cotton for all of their T-shirts and clothing. And he said when they made that decision, there wasn't enough organic cotton in America to supply them. Yeah, okay. You know, so they actually had to help build that supply chain. Wow. And in doing so, they actually helped move the entire fashion industry in North America towards that direction. So 
that's the kind of stuff that's really impactful. Um, whereas the kind of like, here's a report about all the great stuff that we're doing that, that for me starts to raise maybe a little bit of healthy cynicism. Yeah, that's a, that's an awesome point and a really interesting way to think about it. And also thinking about the work that you can then do. I mean, you know, stone and wood, as you say, is, is just a extremely large and well-recognized independent. And if you can do some of that legwork and you can distribute that and help the rest of the industry, then your job as a sustainability manager at Stone and Wood, you're going far beyond that. You're actually becoming a sustainability advocate for the whole industry, and you, you know, it's only going to generate more respect and more support for Stone and Wood as a brand, and make genuine distributed impacts as well. Yeah, you're right. And the great thing about the beer industry, I mean, it's a fun industry, but it's extremely collaborative. I've never been in an industry before where it's like open doors mm. between competitors. Okay, you know, and we all get along. We all visit each other's breweries. We all share stories, and um, so you're right. And, the, and there's a there's an organisation called the IBA, which is the Independent Brewers Association, which we're very much an active part of. And I am involved in the Sustainability Committee, which is a cross-functional group of other brewers that get together and talk about our industry sustainability challenges. You know, and one of the things that we're doing and and driving is like a benchmarking tool where brewers can log on, input their water, energy, waste, et cetera, data, and then see how they compare against other brewers in the industry. And we can try to lead the whole industry towards better outcomes. You know, so those sorts of collaborative efforts, I think are the, the really inspiring, you know, things in this, in this sustainability world. I reckon so. I reckon there's a lot, there's, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here in the cogs turning as is always the case when you start engaging in these conversations and even thinking, as you, you know, as you start doing that, you start removing bottlenecks from the supply chain as well, or bottlenecks from the opportunities to have the impact, exactly like you say with organic cotton. Because um, I'm just thinking about how, you know, we've got some delays at the moment on some of our products coming in, and that's because we're using, yeah, we want to use nice Japanese salvaged denim. It's part of our product offering, but we're using recycled denim. And there's actually a shortage and we're having to delay things because we can't get enough of that fabric in the recycled content and they're having to, you know, effectively do that. And it's like, we're going at small volumes. We are fresh out the door. We're a small company. And yeah, it's actually doing that and effectively partnering up with other brands and saying, hey, if we all, you know, put in orders or we all request this fabric, we'll actually be able to stop using virgin materials over here, generate more demand for this recycled material and actually start having more impact, even at a low level, on some of those supply chains, which is that's an inspiring way to look at it. And and yeah, and that is. And you know what? The, like for me, that says that you and those other businesses have a common goal, which is not to just make money. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> if if your only goal was to make money, you wouldn't have that approach. You'd be super competitive. Your common goal is to. Um, to have an impact, you know, and to, to do the right thing. And you can actually see that you're actually better off achieving that goal together rather than individually. Absolutely. No, that's so true. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thinking a bit more on the business side of things, from a from a margins perspective, a revenue perspective, does the stone and wood con- commitment to sustainability have an impact on the production costs on the day-to-day level? So, or is it mainly an upfront investment in actually going out and finding these alternative supply chains and things like that? Or does it make brewing the beer more expensive? Um, 
Yeah. Do you know what? Yes and no. It really kind of depends. I mean, for a lot of things, yes, there is actually extra in either extra investment or extra resource or time or yeah. for a lot of things. Yes. You know, if it's things like buying green power, putting solar on the roof, potentially mm. buying this regenerative grain, you know, all of that is more expensive than the, I guess the default um, yeah. or the industrial method. Um, and, and we can't do all of them. You know, we're, we're, we're actually still, a, I guess you'd call us a medium sized business. Now we're about just over 1% of the Australian beer market. So yeah. still quite small in the scheme of things. Um, however, with, there are some things that actually pay back, you know, um, yeah. we, we, we struck a deal, um, last year on our electricity with a, with a, um, local community owned electricity company to Byron Bay called Innova, um, that are independent community owned and supporting the transition to decentralized renewable energy. And in fact, the deal that we were able to come to terms with, with them was actually better than our existing deal from the, from the mainstream market. So sometimes these things actually have a payback or, or have a, a financial benefit to them. If they don't, um, it kind of comes down to a bit of a longer term decision. You know, maybe it is more expensive in the one or two or three years. But like I said before, we kind of look 10 plus years. And if we're going, well, we want to be a leading conscious business we see the market moving in this direction. We see good business being good business. If we make an investment now in um, buying from a supplier that is, you know, regeneratively grown and adding to Australia's soil health and supporting Australian farmers, sure, it might be more expensive year on year, but in the long term, we're probably going to build enough brand equity or get the benefit of that that it will pay back. If you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So. There's not always a clear black and white, you know, numerical or analytical decision on some of those things. And there are certainly some things we have had to say no to, but I think taking that, that bigger picture and longer term approach puts a lot of those decisions in a different perspective. Cool. And you think, so as you say, you're, you're around 1% of the Australian beer market. And um, what was the percentage you said before that the, essentially the major brewer corporations have? Oh, they're, they're like 90 low 90s the, <laughs> yeah. there's like a, there's like a duopoly essentially yeah um and and they, they have an enormous amount and then you've kind of got coopers which has you know a few percent uh and then you've got 700 small independent brewers that collectively have a couple of percent yeah so, so it's, you, this, it's this real this real dichotomy of big and small it is and do you think there's a so let's take stone and wood who are able to actually have very tangible positive impact in the way that you've you know from the work that you've done and come in and refined the supply chain and taken some of those um those actions are there any of the things that you're currently doing that as you would let's say you were able to scale and become 20 percent of the market and produce at that what would then be an absolutely enormous scale is there anything that you're doing now that would i suppose not benefit from the scale like if you're able to have these supply chains as you grow you can carry on having good impact but is there something that as you grew you'd then be able to it, it wouldn't be able to scale with it and you'd actually have to revert to maybe less effective or less sustainable methods um that's a really good question i think 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there is. Um, I think as we grow, so our historically our, we'll give one example. Historically, our um, keg to package split has been about 50-50, which mm-hmm. is quite unusual for a medium or, or large brewing business. Most of the, the big breweries tend to grow by putting more and more of their beer into bottles or cans and sending them further afield. Okay. Um, and we know, and if you think about it, it just makes sense that kegged beer has a much lower environmental footprint. Yeah. I mean, not only is the beer being drunk in a bulk container, but that container is being returned. I kind of say like kegs are the original keep cup, yeah. you know, they continue <laughs> yeah, to be reused. Yeah. Um, the keg beer has, there's, there's, there's no packaging. There's no, well, there's no single use packaging. Um, they're, they're bulk. So transport is more efficient, right? So that's held us in good stead environmentally over the years to have a strong keg split. Mm. But as we grow, I would imagine we would have to put more and more of our beer into bottles and cans probably. Um, yeah. So that would probably have a, a, a detrimental impact in terms of our okay. carbon footprint. Um, things like uh, our brewery operations, as we would continue to expand, we would have to use more gas, more water, more wastewater, those sorts of things. We'd have to um, be very innovative in in the way that we expand and grow and yeah. manage our resource use. Um, and I guess just the, the kind of other ethos of that, be, having that local ethos, you know, do yeah. we want to have a brand that continues to go further and further and further afield or, you know, do we, instead of building a bigger and bigger and bigger brewery here in the Northern Rivers, do we build smaller localized breweries in other areas in which we mm-hmm. operate? So, um, th- those are all of the decisions that we would have to and potentially will have to face as we continue to grow. Yeah. Well, hopefully you have to keep making them for as as large as you <laughs> want to keep making them. <laughs> Just taking a quick break here to say thanks again for listening. Hope you're enjoying what you're hearing today. And if you are enjoying it, please leave a review as we're a new podcast. Those reviews are really important to us. And also don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll start, start wrapping things up. But a question that, you know, the only question I posed to you before we spoke today, and I don't know if you've had a chance to think about it, is I'd like to know that if you had the opportunity, if Mark Zuckerberg turns around to you and he says, all right, mate, I'm going to give you... And if you can't blanch, you can put out a Facebook status and it's going to sit front and center of everyone's news feed for the next 24 hours. What would be the status that you would post? Yeah, that's a great question. And the only thing that I could come up with was close Facebook and go outside. Right? Awesome. Yeah. That's the that's the message because for me, as, a, as an environmentalist, um, for me it's 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 not about maybe numbers or right or wrong or this side that side it's actually about the 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 true kind of environmentalism is is connecting with nature and our world and the wonder of our world and for you that could be you know surfers that love the ocean it could be people that love trail running in the mountains it could be people that love gardening and learn the seasonal cycles whatever it is connect with nature and the outside world. And from that starts this massive journey of what's important and what's true and what's kind of real in life, you know, and you won't find that on a screen. 
Mate, that is the first time I put that question out there and I couldn't have hoped for a better answer. That is a philosophical gem. <laughs> I think that is, you've absolutely nailed that and that has set the bar. I will be asking that question moving forward and that is that has set the bar high for an answer. <laughs> yeah, good. Well, I'm happy. I mean, yeah. no, no environmentalist or, you know, really inspiring person I've ever met has sent, has kind of said to me, yeah, I got really inspired through, you know, someone's social media yeah. post. <laughs> You know, it's always like my journey started from being a kid in nature is yeah. like tends to be most people's origin story. So that's, that's what we need to do is just connect with the world around us. Nice. And talking more about that and, you know, reverting back to your journey and connecting with nature, I just want to hand over to you and give you an opportunity to do a couple of things. Tell us about what the next 12 months at Stone and Wood look like and what you're going to be working on and anything you'd like to share and then, of course, tell us about your podcast and what you've got coming up and how people can hear more from you. Yeah, yeah, cool. So from a Stone and Wood point of view, we're in a really exciting phase where, yeah, we are looking at kind of ramping up some of those sustainability projects. So I've, I've touched on it before, this, you know, potentially tapping into a new supply chain of regenerative agriculture, looking at ramping up the renewable energy in our breweries, we actually put out a press release a week or two ago um, saying that we, we're we going to start the process of building a new brewery in Mwilumbar that's cool. bigger and um, is a greenfield site. So, you know, for, as a from an engineering and brewing nerd background, it's like, cool, <laughs> greenfield to site. We get to design this brewery however we want. Yeah. Um, so over the next few years, we will be designing and breaking ground on a new brewery that has limitless opportunity. We could have (laughs) awesome wastewater treatment processes, awesome green energy processes, you know, things like that, which is super exciting. So there's a lot of great stuff happening um, in the Stonewood world, which is really, yeah, really great. Cool. And then, yeah, personally, um, thank you for the opportunity to plug. So yeah, I am a fellow podcaster and I've, my podcast is called the overview effect with James Perrin. And it's all about, yeah, taking that bigger picture, I guess, or that that holistic picture and that humanistic picture on nature and and humanity and community. The overview effect for anyone that's not familiar with that term is this experience that astronauts have when they they go off into space um, and they they see for the first time Earth from space, cool. and they describe it as this really overwhelming moment where they they feel really connected to humanity they feel really emotional they feel really um kind of awe inspired by the magnificence of earth and our planet which is a beautiful juxtaposition to what you would think an astronaut is like which is like cold and hard and analytical right (laughs) so for me and 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 these astronauts that that experience this they come back to earth and their life has changed it's like this wow moment in their life right so the podcast for me is all about chatting to um, influential environmentalists, humanitarians, not-for-profit leaders, business leaders that um, share their experiences of how they see the world, what has inspired them, why they do what they do, and I guess on a philosophical point of view, what they hope to see in the world in the future. So um, that kind of big-picture philosophical thinking uh, so yeah, if you if you're into kind of that that mindset, please go and check it out. Yeah, absolutely, 100% recommend it, and there'll be a link as well in the show notes. 
Um, so both James and I have got our podcasts out on the Climactic Network. So we'll be uh, you'll be able to see a link for that in the show notes of this podcast and go ahead and check that one out as well. So you've got hours of podcasting to be listening to between the both. <laughs> cool. Yep. James, that's, yeah, so many great insights there. Some, you know, good stories, good visions of what's coming up for Stone and Wood and for you personally as well. It's going to be a really cool journey to follow. So thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Mate, pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Cool. Thanks, man.